This morning, right before I got up here, uh, my wife lovingly gave me a bottle of water, and I look on it and it says disaster relief. So I'm hoping uh, that is not a prophetic word this morning. This morning we're going to talk about suffering. Uh, I feel a little bit unequipped uh, in many ways to talk about this. Um, We're going to walk through Psalm 13, and in Psalm 13, David cries out to God. And he's crying out from a place of extreme suffering. Um, Looking back uh, on my life, uh, I feel like maybe I haven't, uh, I haven't, I haven't experienced anything remotely close to this. Uh, I feel a little bit like somebody without kids trying to tell someone else how to parent. Um, However, this is the word of God, and we stand firmly on the word of God. We're going to walk through Psalm 13 this morning, and even though uh, maybe some of these things I or you haven't experienced personally, we stand firm on the Word of God, and there's something here for us in Psalm 13. Suffering in the lives of God's people has a long and storied tradition. All the way back to, to Jacob's son, Joseph, we see a biblical pattern of suffering and trials in God's people. In, in, in men and women that follow God, they have experienced extreme suffering. In the past, we think of, of, of Joseph. We also think of Job, right? So we think of Naomi experiencing suffering. These stand out as examples in the Old Testament of people who have undergone extreme cases of suffering and then cried out to God. Through it all, God was faithful. We see in the New Testament, in the early church, we see persecution of, of Jesus' disciples, we see the stoning of Stephen. Through it all, God was faithful, using suffering to expand his gospel to the ends of the earth. After the Bible was written, we see suffering in Rome, right? We see people, Christians, killed for their faith. We see Athanasius. We see other examples of people thrown to the lions in Rome. We see even later on then in the reformers and even in the pre-reformers, we see Jan Hus. We see William Tyndale martyred for their faith. Even recent examples, we see examples like Jim Elliot, a missionary seeking to bring God's word to a place where it was not heard, dying for his faith. We see suffering in God's people. Today we come to a psalm written by David. David certainly experienced blessings in his life. He was a king. He was a king over Israel. He experienced many victories in war. He experienced wealth, a very prosperous time for the nation of Israel. But he also had a lot of trials. David uh, was hunted down by Saul. He was later then um, in, in a battle with his son Absalom. He experienced hardship, he experienced loss, he experienced suffering. He experienced this at the hands of his enemies at times. This morning, we look to Psalm 13. This is a psalm of lament. David cries out to God from a place of despair and difficulty. He cries out to God in need, and in the end, he praises God for his faithfulness. So, so in this, we see a pattern that we can and we should, as God's people, follow today. We, uh, we see this pattern, and we then want to pray this back to God when we experience suffering. So if you have your Bible, and I hope that you do, please turn to Psalm 13. It says, To the choir master, a psalm of David, How long, O Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long, 
Will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice and I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. As we walk through suffering in this life, we should cry out to God for help and rejoice knowing that he lovingly cares for his children. The first two verses, we see David crying out from a place of despair. We see David crying out to God from a place of despair. The psalmist finds himself in a situation where he feels like all is lost. He, he's crying out in lament because circumstances that he finds himself in feel like they are too much to bear. He is walking through the dark valley of suffering, and four times then he utters out the phrase, How long? First, he laments because he, he feels like God has forgotten him. He, he cries out, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? He addresses the Lord, asking God to, to not continue to forget him perpetually. He asks if he will have to go on without God's countenance and love shining upon him. God turning away his face from his people uh, is familiar imagery in the Bible. Often, often we see in Scripture um, it talking about God pronouncing judgment on Israel, and it uses this imagery. It says that he turns his face away from them. In, in Micah 3, we see the rulers of Israel fall under God's judgment for their injustice to his people. It says, Hear, you heads of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel, is it not for you to know justice? You who hate the good and love the evil, who tear the skin off my people and their flesh from their bones, who eat the flesh of my people and flay their skin off them and break their bones in pieces and chop them up like a meat in a pot, like flesh in a cauldron, then they will cry to the Lord, but he will not answer them. He will hide his face from them at that time because they have made their deeds evil. Israel's leaders faced judgment from God. They faced his wrath for their sin. They went from a place of peace with Yahweh, with God, to being under judgment, to God being against them, to him turning his face away from them. It says that he will hide his face from them. He will, he will go from figuratively setting his affection, setting his gaze upon them, to turning his back away from them. We, we can relate to this on a human level, right? When your relationship with somebody, whether, whether that be a spouse or a boyfriend or girlfriend or a child or a parent or a friend, when, when your relationship with someone is peaceful, when, when it's going well between you, there, there's a comfort level between you. you. You enjoy spending time together. There's no awkwardness or strife between you. But when there is enmity between you, when there is something that is causing division between you, it can be palpable, right? You can, you can hear someone saying, I can't even stand to look at you right now. Uh, you know, think of if you're in a relationship and there is a wedge between the two of you. You don't want to be together. God is 
is, is perfect and just, and he is not changing. And when we, when we see here, especially uh, in, in Micah, Israel's leaders turning from him, God says, okay, I'm not looking at you. I'm turning my face from you. This imagery of God turning his face away from his people in judgment shows that this relational strife exists. It is, it is um, a removal from this judgment, a, a removal from this posture that David is seeking. He, he asks, how long must this go on? How long must God hide his face from me? Then he turns inward. He asks, how long must he take counsel in his own soul? How long must he have a heart full of sorrow? He is dying inwardly. He's hurting. One author said this uh, lonely anguish is, uh, one author uh, called this lonely anguish a painful rumination. Um, so, so it is here that we see David's raw and honest emotion. He's walking through the long tunnel of suffering and, and he cannot avoid the constant barrage of distress that he's getting from him and he feels like he's doing this alone. The anxiety and the mourning and the sadness encompass him all day and night. And, and he cannot run away from it. It's, it's within him. He, he, can't, he can't escape from it. It's within him. And he asks, how long must this go on? This, this, is a, this is a fearful place to be when depression or anxiety sets in and there is no end in sight. And the emotional pain is too much to bear. It is overwhelming. David is speaking to us from a place of experience. He, he is speaking to us from a place of particular sadness here in his own life. But, but this, is, this is felt by all of us at one time or another, right? We have all gone through this, whether we have suffered something great or something small. We have gone through this. Whether you hear about a death in the family and it's a stomach punch, or you hear about someone being laid up with sickness or someone losing their job, we, we understand this personal anguish, and it's not something that can easily be forgotten or ignored. It is overbearing, and it, and it is constant. How long, how long must, must we feel this pain? How long must we hurt? How long must I take counsel in my own soul alone? Finally, then, David turns outward, expressing his despair over his enemies, triumphing over him. He says, how long must my enemies be exalted over me? This could point to any enemy, any foe. This could be visible, real, personal, or it could be invisible. It could be a spiritual attack, something from Satan. This could be um, anything that we are fighting against. How long will I fall prey to this person? Or how long will my circumstances bear over me? How long will I be held down? It is an empty feeling to suffer alone. Suffering and sadness weighing on our souls and solitude is hard to take, but, but how much worse is it when your enemy is lording it over you? I, I'm sure you can think of many examples in your life. You know, I, th I think back to um, even things in elementary school and middle school, right? So you're in that age where it's awkward years, and that provides plenty of opportunities for tears and sadness as you're kind of growing up and learning how to make friends and deal with people and handle responsibilities. Um, I, I remember when I was 13, one of my best friends moved away, and that was a stomach punch. When you're 13, that's like your world crushing in on you. And I remember going to school that fall, and one particular uh, individual 
um, was happy that my friend had moved away and he was, you know, lording it over me and kind of making fun of me. And I remember that being a, a, a particularly difficult stomach punch to handle. Um, not that I'm holding a grudge today. <laughs> Paul. <laughs> it's one thing to go through suffering, right? It's, it, it's, it's entirely another thing to have your enemies dealing the crushing blow. David is expressing sorrow because he's feeling isolated from God. He, he feels the anguish in his soul and he feels tortured because his enemies have been exalted over him. And in all of this, he asks the question, how long? How long must this go on? Well, how long will I have to be, be figuratively destroyed? How long will this sorrow go on? There's a couple points of application we can relate to here. We can all relate to David's words. There's not a person here that has been immune to this. We've all experienced some sort of suffering. We all live in a fallen world where sin and death have entered. These are cold, hard realities that we face every day. We will not escape hardship, and we will not escape sorrow. Sickness and disease are everywhere. Violence is unavoidable in our world. And it is not a matter of if you will experience suffering. It is a matter of when will you experience suffering. This is especially true from God's, for God's people. Jesus, Jesus promised us that the world will hate us just as it hated him. Jesus' um, words should be taken very seriously. They are true. We should expect God's people will face suffering in a unique and pointed way. So take comfort, Christian. You are not alone. We are in this together. Are you struggling through depression or anxiety? Are your circumstances feeling dire around you? You are not in this alone. You are in this together. This psalm was written for you to sing back to the Lord. Are you struggling with sadness or sorrow over loss? You're not in this alone. Are you mourning over recent events in your life? You're not in this alone. We are, we are all in this together. Crossway, I, I, I think we need to hear this now perhaps more than ever. Um, one of us is going through a real difficult, life-altering uh, event we need to be there alongside our brothers and sisters, weeping with those who weep. We need to encourage them. They need to know that they are not alone. I, I've been very encouraged by the recent outpouring of love that we've seen in some circumstances here recently. And um, this is something we need to continue to do. We need to continue to reach out and encourage uh, those who are suffering. We are not alone. We're in this together. We see that, that, that we shouldn't be alone in this together, but we also see it's okay. In this passage, we see it is okay. Struggling is okay. It's okay to struggle. It's okay to cry. It's okay to pray to God and ask for relief. Well, we don't know the exact circumstances in this situation when David penned the psalm. And I, I think in some ways that helps. I think it helps with the utility of this psalm. Uh, David wrote this psalm as he navigated through a real historical event. It was something that, that caused him to write this, but as he was driven by the Holy Spirit, he wrote something that then the church can take and sing back to God. As we go through our trials and our sufferings, we cry out to God and we can ask, how long? 
Will you hide your face from us? How long must we take counsel in our own souls and seek comfort? We can ask how long our enemies will triumph over us, and we don't have to feel bad or pull punches with God. We can be honest. We don't, we, we don't have to put on a mask, like a Christian mask, when we approach the throne. I, I think often our tendency, I know my tendency, is to feel guilty about struggling. To feel guilty about struggling with things. Um, we have... Uh, in our culture, we value like machismo, right? We, we want to think of ourselves as strong individuals, muscling through difficult circumstances. God often uses overwhelming circumstances to turn us to him, to draw us to our knees in repentance and faith, to bring us close to him. We are in this together. We can relate to one another, and it is okay to struggle and cry out to God. How, how do we know this, right? We, we see this from David clearly in the Bible. And, and in these first two verses, he foreshadows something that he, he also writes then in Psalm 22. David says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That should sound very familiar. Our Lord repeated this lament when he was on the cross. As Christ, the sinless God-man, died As he hung on the cross, bearing the wrath for your sin, he cried out to the Father because the Father had turned his face from him. The Father had forgotten him. Jesus was in lonely anguish and painful sorrow. He was separated from the Father as never before, as his enemies seemingly triumphed over him. Jesus knows exactly what it feels like to go through pain and to go through suffering because he has experienced this more than any of us could ever imagine. Not just the physical death on the cross, but the spiritual uh, absorbing of God's wrath, of the Father turning his face from him. If you're going through a season of suffering right now, take refuge in the Lord. He has gone through it. And he can be leaned on in time of need. He, he can go, this, go through this with you because in a very real sense, Jesus has already gone through this for you. David asks four times in the first two verses, how long must this go on? How, how long must he endure? And then in verses three and four, we see David's plea for help. We see David's plea for help. He says, consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice, because I am shaken. This um, psalm has great structure, great uh, symmetry that we see here. So what's the first thing David cried out in verse 1? How long, right? How long will God turn his face from him? How long will God forget him? Right here in verse 3, he goes from lamenting over his circumstances, from, 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 from crying out to God in prayer, then to asking for relief. The first thing he asks God is to consider him and to answer him. This is the exact opposite of turning away and forgetting him. He, he is living in what seems like rejection and separation from God. And so he asks God to remember him, remember his promises to him. Remember that he is his child. Remember that David follows his statutes and listens to him in his word. David, Lee, David boldly asks God to consider him and to answer him. So, so David here is not a petulant child asking God to give him all of his needs and wants and selfish desires. 
And this is, this is a man that is seeking after the Lord. He's crying out to him in tears and asking God to remember him, to remember his promises and bring him to pass. So likewise, Christian, we don't cry out to God in anger, expecting that he will grant us all of our frivolous wants and desires, but we cry out to him, asking him to remember us, to consider us, to bring his promises to pass. We know that he's promised never to leave us. For all that have repented of their sin and turned to him in faith, we know that he uses all circumstances for his glory and for our good, conforming us to the image of his son. So with David, we cry out for God not to forget us, to not turn his face from us, to remember us in our suffering, to consider us and to answer us. So, so remember asking him to remember his promises and comfort us then in our time of need. The psalmist then asks God to light up his eyes, lest he sleeps the sleep of death. This is the exact opposite of what he was lamenting of in verse 2. There he said that he takes counsel in his soul and has sorrow in his heart all the day. He is alone. He is dying inside. And he's asking God to revive him, to light up his eyes, to give him new life. Rather than experiencing uh, crushing pain and sorrow, David is asking the Lord to restore him, to bring him back. This is the work of our Lord, is it not? When we are wrecked, when we are face down in the mud and we are crying out to God with a broken heart, how are we restored? How, how are you restored? By his power, as a loving father, he brings us peace and joy. When we are driven to our knees in sorrow over sin, when his spirit convicts our hearts and we cry out to him in repentance and faith, he lights up our eyes. He, he gives us new life. We have a loving God who hears us when we cry out to him, and he loves us enough to respond. He does something that only God can do. How is it possible for us to have comfort as we walk through suffering? How can we glorify him as we experience personal loss and painful distress? It's God that lights up our eyes. It is God that keeps us through it all. And then finally in verse 4, he asks for relief. Lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. So he is asking here for relief from his final lament in verses 1 and 2. How long must my enemies be exalted over me? David asks God to take um, this away, to rebuke his enemies. And, and, and this is not an unfamiliar theme in Scripture. Psalm 74 says, How long, O God, is the foe to scoff? Is the enemy to revile your name forever? So, so God's reputation, God's name is at stake in the lives of his people here. David is pleading with God to push back the enemy. David is pleading with God for relief from his oppressor. One author commented on this verse saying, No trial has a keener edge than the insults and exaltations of enemies. Where there are clearly enemies of God, their derisions terribly pierce the righteous. This is certainly true. Whether the enemy be Saul or whether the enemy be Satan, we know that in this fallen world, we will experience pain and suffering at the hand of our adversary. In these verses, we see a couple of points of application. First, first, we see that David turns from lamentation to supplication. He turns from crying out to God in suffering, asking how long, 
to praying to God for relief from these circumstances. David goes from mourning to petitioning. This is something we ought to remember as we walk through suffering of any kind. It can be real easy for us to throw our hands up in the air, for us to feel sorry for ourselves. But that's not where it stops. We have the ear of the God of the universe. We have access to the creator, the one who made everything. He listens to our prayers. Ask him for relief. Cry out to God. Be specific. Bring your suffering to him and ask God for relief. David boldly goes before the throne of grace and he prays to the God of the universe expecting that God will bring him relief. We know that he will ultimately give us what we need. So we cry out to him and we bring our needs before him. We uh, don't dwell on our circumstances and our troubles without bringing these to the Lord, expecting relief from him. Secondly, we see uh, Jesus' own prayers prefigured here in these verses. David cries out in the midst of dire straits, asking God for help. He asks the Father to remove these trials from him. Christ himself in the garden, just prior to his death, prayed, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me, asking God for relief. And then Jesus says, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. So Jesus, knowing about uh, what was about to happen, prayed to the Lord, asking him to take it from him, asking him for relief, asking him to remove the pending judgment that was to follow. He didn't simply ask for strength to endure. He did uh, all this as he submitted to the Father's will, but first he asked and prayed that his wrath would be removed. This should give us confidence and courage as we walk through trials. We should, we should go to the Father and asking not only for courage to endure suffering, but ask that it be removed, that he removes these trials from our lives. But ultimately then, like Christ, we should desire that the Father's will is accomplished, knowing that in his infinite wisdom, he will bring about the best. He knows more than we know. He will bring about what is good and what is right. We go to God asking for relief, trusting that he is good and that he will bring about and accomplish his will. David found himself in a place of despair. He pled with the Lord for help. And then finally, we, we see that this leads to a prayer of rejoicing. This leads to a prayer of rejoicing. Verses 1 through 4, David laid bare his soul before the Lord, asking how long he must endure suffering and pleading with God to remove these burdens. In verse 5 then, David turns his heart from this to then praising the Lord. He says, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. A couple things stand out clearly in this passage. So, uh, first, notice the use of past tense and future tense and what David's saying in these two verses. David says, I have trusted in your steadfast love. He has already trusted in the Lord. His feet are on solid ground, immovable. This then leads him to say, my heart shall rejoice in your, in your salvation. 
He trusted in the Lord. He believed that all God's promises were true. He trusted his entire life to the Lord. David then, uh, then knows he can trust that God will bring about future rejoicing. David has no reason to rejoice at this point. His circumstances are, are terrible. They're dire. They have not changed. He is in the dark night of despair. He is still experiencing pain and suffering. He is, but he, but he, he's not moved. He doesn't change. He doesn't, he, doesn't, uh, he doesn't leave a place of trusting in the Lord. He not only cries out to God, but through it all, he trusts God. God gives us the strength. God gives us the joy that we experience in our lives. David then goes on to mirror the same thing in verse 6. He says, I will sing to the Lord, future tense, because past tense, the Lord in the past has dealt bountifully with him. David knows that God uh, is a God that can be trusted. He will sing to him because of who he is and what he has done for him. You can almost hear the words of Job resonating here, right? As Job goes through experiencing great suffering and loss, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Think of our Lord hanging on the cross, dying for us, dying for you in your place. He cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he pled with God to remove his wrath from him. But through it all, he trusted the Father, trusted what was good. He trusted that his plan was perfect. He never wavered. Like David, he trusted the Father's steadfast love. Like David, his heart never wavered and wandered, but was held close to him. It is important, we see this here in David's words, to prepare for suffering. You might not be in the middle of suffering right now, but we must see this now to prepare for suffering. David hearkens back to God's steadfast covenant love with him. He recalls the salvation that only God provides, and he is prepared then to suffer and to rely on the promises of God. He does not, in the, in the midst of suffering, first learn about God's promises or first trust in the Lord or does not tur turn to him um, turn to him because of the suffering. He is grounded in God's promises. So likewise, crossway, we should be prepared. It is easier for you to think through this now, to gain a solid understanding now of God's sovereignty and goodness before we go through suffering. We rely on God, but if we are unprepared, we could lose our focus. So look to the Lord now. Look to God now. Trust in God now. Trust that he will bring you through this now. Trust that he is good and that he will sustain you. And then if you're in the middle of suffering right now, let these words ring loud in your ears. Even as you ask God why this is happening and you ask God how long must this happen? How long must this go on? How long must I endure it? Even as you're crying out to God in prayer, asking for the trial to be removed, remember, God is good. He is a good God. He is glorious. He is the God of your salvation. He's the God who's given his son, who suffered to redeem you. And one day, he will wipe away every tear. Sin and death will be defeated. We will dwell with him forever.
If you've already gone through that tunnel of suffering, if you've emerged the other side, trusting in the Lord, encourage those who are going through it now. We are not in this alone. We are together. Encourage them with David's words here to comfort one another, knowing they can trust in the Lord. Point them to our good God who has endured it for us, who goes through it with us, who we can trust in all of this. This life is temporary, and we have an eternity to enjoy with the presence of God. Look to him. He is the one who triumphs over depression. He is the one who triumphs over sickness and disease. He's the one who rebukes our enemies, the godless. Who, uh, he is the God who never leaves his people. We trust in him. He is a good God. Suffering in this life is unavoidable. We, we are surrounded by sin and death in this fallen world. When we are confronted with terrible circumstances like David, we ask, how long? How long, Lord, must this go on? How long must, I hide, uh, m- must you hide your face from me? How long, how long must I be uh, secluded in my own soul going through this anguish? This is, a, this is our gut response, but this shouldn't be where it ends. This shouldn't be where it ends. We encounter these circumstances. We fall to our knees. We petition our Lord. We bring our troubles and our cares before the God of the universe, the God who hears us. We pray, we ask for relief, and we trust and praise our Lord, knowing that he is big enough, he is powerful enough, and he will be with us through it all. We joyfully praise his name. As we walk through suffering, we should cry out to God for help and rejoice, knowing that he lovingly cares for his children. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we, like David, walking through trials and troubles in this world, ask how long? How long will this go on? How long will we not have relief? We ask you for relief. We ask you taking refuge in you, knowing then at the end of the day, we can trust you. You are a good God. You are the God of our salvation. You are a glorious God, and we praise your name. Lord, I pray for those going through suffering now. Lord, I pray that we would come alongside them and encourage them, pointing them to the word. I pray that they would take refuge in you, knowing that you are a God who cares and hears and deals bountifully with your children. Lord, I pray that for those who have come through the other side of suffering, that we would be uh, encouraging, that we would um, be helpful, that we would not turn bitter, but we would turn to you, praising you, knowing that we can trust you. In all this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.